Hello everyone, this is Steve Marinucci welcoming you to yet another edition of Things We Said Today, our weekly Deep Beetle Talk uh, show where we will talk about anything related to the Beatles. Before we get started, I want to introduce everybody that's with us today. First of all, the gentleman who is the host of Every Little Thing, Mr. Ken Michaels. Hello, Ken. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. And from Beatle Fan Magazine, um, who has been there from the very beginning, the very, very beginning, Mr. Al Sussman. Hey, Al. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Hello there, everybody. And last but not least, the man who has interviewed the Beatles more than more than any of us, who has celebrated life with the Lions more than any of us. <laughs> I, I and, wouldn't be too sure of that. No, so, okay. <laughs> and and says, and I'm going to embarrass you now, Alan. Who says he's going to stay a Yankees fan while li- living in New England, Mr. Alan Cozen. Hello, Alan. Hey, Steve. Hello, everybody. And that doesn't embarrass me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Anyway, today we're going to, we're going to, we just passed the uh, anniversary. It was released in 1970 of Let It Be. And we thought we would talk about the movie and the album and the significance, what significance it holds now. Obviously, you know, what, Apple has done with it, what they should do with it. Um, and like I said, we're going to talk about both the the movie and the album. Let me, um, I'm going to start with when the, well, let's start with the album first. Um, when the album was released, what did you guys think of it individually? Let's start with Ken. Ken? Well, I was kind of young at the time, so I don't quite remember as it was released. It's only later on as I listened to it. I mean, certainly as Beatle albums were released, I did buy them. Maybe not the day of its release, but certainly around that time. But I always enjoyed it. I loved, you know, the rawness of the band. I wasn't really making comparisons between this and their previous albums. And being at the time, I would have been almost 11. I wasn't really aware of what the state of the band was in at the moment. And I didn't really let that affect how I thought about the music. I always liked all the songs on there. I liked the variety of it. Obviously, the hits with Let It Be and The Long and Winding Road. How it opened with Two of Us. That's one of those great album openers, which the Beatles were so skillful at doing. Loved the rock and roll in there. Loved One After 909, which was such a you know powerful, good 50s-ish type rock and roll song. I've Got a Feeling was great. You know, everything about it, I really enjoyed. I certainly wasn't thinking about the Phil Spector influence. I wasn't thinking, was he overproducing anything like The Long and Winding Road or Across the Universe? I thought that the production on those songs were just fine the way they were. That's the way I grew up hearing these songs and hearing them first before hearing outtakes and Beatles anthology versions and all that. But I loved all of it. You know, as someone who wasn't making comparisons, who just took it in as an album at the moment, I loved it just like all the other Beatles albums. Okay. So, Mm, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, Because my first impression, and I'm obviously, I'm a little older than you are. um, I remember it, uh, listening to it and hearing the, you know, reading the Scuttlebutt and Rolling Stone that it was going to be, you know, a back to the roots kind of thing. And then, hearing the album and being a little disappointed that it wasn't but um and and still to this day to listen to it I, i've never you know it's hard to appreciate the phil specter album i guess i appreciate it a little more now than i did back then but it, it was it, it was hard to appreciate it especially given what we had hoped was going to come uh al would you what did you think of the album Funny thing is, I think Alan and I probably had a similar experience uh, going back to previous conversations we've had, because this was the first time that we had gotten a new Beatles album where we had actually heard a good portion of the album, you know, maybe not in the same form uh, previously, because obviously the the Get Back album was the first Beatles album to be bootlegged. Mm-hmm. So we had heard 
a good portion of the album in you know in, in rough form uh, for several months. And plus the fact that it was, uh, you know, just a few weeks after Paul had, you know, released his self-interview, which in effect made the announcement that he was leaving the group. Uh, it was something of an anticlimax, especially after, as you just alluded to, uh, uh, Steve, the, uh, you know, about a year of articles in Rolling Stone about this Back to the Roots uh, album. And then and then and then having all of the delays and Abbey Road coming out in the interim, and then everything all everything connected with the the eventual breakup and all. So by the time it finally came out in May, it was in well both the album and the and the film too. It was something of an anticlimax. Mm-hmm. Uh, did yeah. you feel the same, Alan? I did actually. Um, I can I can go into maybe a little more detail. Um, I, mm-hmm. I I totally agree with with you, and my experience was very much the same, except that um, even before the bootlegs came out, and and really the source of the bootlegs were a couple of acetates that leaked out to radio right. stations in the U.S. of the Glyn Johns mix for the Get mm-hmm. Back album. Right. So if you look back at the whole period, okay, they recorded this thing in January 1969. In the spring of 1969, the Get Back single comes out uh, with Don't Let Me Down, and we know that this is what they're working on for their new album, mm-hmm. and it sounds really exciting because Get Back was a really fun single, and Don't Let Me Down was a great song, and we knew you know, the beginnings of the John and Yoko story and the whole thing there and and you know we're reading into it you know this is what john is thinking and uh i i just loved that single and then we began hearing the reports in rolling stone that alan steve alluded to i mean rolling stone did a lot of coverage about what this album was going to be and in fact it became kind of a joke in the letters column um where every <laughs> few months someone would write in so when is the get back album coming out mm-hmm. because it was originally right. going to be called the get back album right um and there were all kinds of stories um you know it it did originally come out in a box in england um with a book but i i seem to remember reading a report about how it was going to come out in a wooden box anyone remember mm. that no yeah no. no i i don't remember that at all really maybe maybe um just when i read that it was coming out in a box that was the image that i i had in mind i i don't know um i seem to remember hearing that that was going to be it and i'm thinking how expensive is this album going to be you know but we were hearing that and and then also we were hearing you know by the end of 1969 months before the eventual album came out we had already heard the acetate on, I think, WNEW or WABC-FM played it in New York. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a little kid with a tape recorder, I was right there. So as soon as they played it, I had it for all the period in between, you know, when it was first aired and when the album finally came out. So I was able to be very disappointed by the album because I was used to, (laughs) I was used to these very raw things with, you know, a bit of save the last dance for me and all the talking Mm -hmm. in between. And I was really just hoping for a really good quality album of that. Mm. Um, but then also you may remember, you know, John used to do these interviews with Howard Smith and in Mm. late 1969, he talked about the get back album and he talked about it in very weird terms. Mm. He, I think also really liked what the Glyn Johns album was, um, at the time. I mean, he was involved in bringing Peter, sorry, Phil Spector in, um, as well. But at the time he was saying, you know, this is the Beatles with their trousers down. This is going to explode the whole myth. I mean, he was just saying (laughs) stuff like that. And, um, you know, we sort of thinking, well, I don't know what he means by that, because the stuff I've heard is great. You know, I mean, we heard Long and Winding Road with no strings and no choirs mm. and and we heard Let mm. It Be that way, too. And that's what we were used to, at least those of us with tape recorders at the time. Right. Um, so when the album came out, um, I mean, I. In a way, I'm a little bit jealous of of Ken's experience because he was able to experience it as a new Beatles album without all of the 
you know, the history. Um, yeah, and right. maybe, maybe I would like it more now if I had received it that way too. Mm. Um, I have to say it's probably one of my least favorite Beatles albums. Um, yeah. because, uh, you know, I, I liked Long and Winding Road, I, I liked a lot better without the strings, and with the strings, I found sort of really treacly and uh, difficult to bear. And Paul apparently had that experience too, although bizarrely enough, as much as he complained about it, the live version that he's always done has been something like the specterized version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. a, maybe a bit less, and and for a while he did it with winds instead of strings, but uh, but there was always something else, and I kind of liked it plain, completely plain, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and yeah. and all the little bits. I mean, you know, we also first heard it with a uh, a dig it that went on for six or eight minutes, and then right. the album comes out and we get this little snippet. You know, what's yeah. what's this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you so, did you hear yeah. the acetates before? Or I should say, uh, yeah, did you hear the acetates before the album came out? I mean, uh, did you hear the radio broadcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I didn't, because I, I didn't hear them, I don't think, until until the bootlegs came out. And I was, mm. you know, I'm I, and the same with the, the Get Back bootleg. I mean, I didn't hear that until after. And uh, I don't, mm. I don't think so. I'm, I, my, my memory's a little, I, I do remember where I heard it the first time and believe it or not alan you'll relate to this i was on a journalism conference and somebody had it somebody had the bootleg and they were playing it in their room and that room became very popular but uh yeah, what is it about journalists and bootlegs <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know but um but yeah alan, I, don't know if, I don't know if this is your experience but i remember hearing the acetate um on I think it was WPLJ or could, right. no, it was at that point. At that point, it was still WABC FM in yeah. um, November of '69. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, um, and I taped it. You know, they also had the White Album early, and yes. they had a, an odd mix, probably a little more like the Peter Sellers mix. Yes. Uh, mm. that, you know, um, and they played only about ten songs of it. But um, but I taped that as well at the time. And, do, you still, uh, do you still have those tapes? I have. Uh, yeah, I do have that tape. I don't have to get back one anymore because it was replaced with, you know, better bootlegs. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was great. I mean, we didn't necessarily, uh, you know, unlike the uh, airing on WBCN in Boston has been bootlegged mm-hmm. in its entirety. So, you know what the DJs were saying and all that. I mean, I, I didn't keep the DJs and I'm not sure that um, in New York, they played it completely and in order you had to sort of wait around for the next track. So I'm not sure we knew what the running order would be, mm-hmm. but, um, but we had basically the whole thing and uh yeah, it was great, and and that's why also when they did let it be naked, I was really just hoping that the Glyn Johns album would come out because to me yeah. that would have corrected a historical mistake, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there because yeah, I mean that's what they intended to release. I mean, not much as I and I've I said this I think a couple of weeks ago that I do like Let It Be Naked now. Mm-hmm. I was listening to it this morning, and I I. You know, I do like it. It sounds, for one reason, the sound is nice, is really warm. There's a really warm sound on that album that is missing from Beatle albums, I think, in general. So I really like that. But I agree, though. I wish Get Back would have come out. I mean, there's been some great bootlegs of, the, of that. Um, uh, yeah. I think there's a, there's a, I know there's a Japanese one that I've heard that's been wonderful, you know? So, I mean, there's yeah. been some great transfers of that, of that original album and why they didn't bother to do that is really, really sad. Let's go to the, let's go to the movie. Um, um, when did you guys first see the movie? And again, I'll start with you, Ken. And what did you think of it? God, this is going to be embarrassing me <laughs> because I think I, I think I saw it probably, when was the first time I saw it? Probably in a movie theater on Long Island mm-hmm. that had some one of those uh, theaters that would run a movie like Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, they would mm-hmm. run a, a rock film, and it was probably I would guess 
late 70s I probably saw it for the first time. Okay. Um, I've seen it many times since. And actually, I watched it uh, yesterday for the first time in probably 10 years or so. Really? So it's been quite a while, yeah, since I've seen that one. A Hard Day's Night in Help I've watched endlessly. <laughs> and, uh, and and Magical Mystery 2 I've watched a lot, and Yellow Submarine not as much. But um, for, for whatever reason, I've, I've never felt compelled to watch Let It Be. But watching it now for the first time in so many years, I have a lot of things to say about it that really surprised my own reaction to it which was really that it wasn't as bad a film as I first remembered it, mm-hmm. or I was told it was, or it wasn't as depressing a movie as I thought it would be. In fact, I found it to be almost entirely enjoyable <laughs> because mm-hmm. um, I noticed a lot of the joy coming out of the band, not just the depression, not just the misery. There are a lot of great moments in there where they're having fun. And... Um, you know, yes, you know that they're about to to break up, but there's just so many incredibly great moments live there and interesting in examining uh, songs taking shape as well. And of course, the the Apple rooftop is fantastic. Right. Uh, the only thing that that I, I kind of now at, as a criticism would make, but then this wasn't really the intent of the film, was I like seeing how a song evolves. Mm. You know, and how a song takes shape and different arrangements of them. You you hear two of us in this movie, and and when they're rehearsing it, it's so much faster than the version that came out. And so I would have loved to have seen them discussing. You know, let's slow it down, you know, a little bit. And also the the guitar intro uh, that's so familiar with two of us changed just slightly. Mm-hmm. By the time that it was the release version, just things like that, I find really interesting. By the time that you get to the Apple rooftop, the songs are finished, you know, and they're exactly the way the Beatles wanted the songs to be. Mm-hmm. You don't see any real development of the songs. You hear them early on. You, you hear loose rehearsals of them, and then, you know, just finished. I don't want to call them polished because it's so raw, but yeah, it's polished too. At the same time, the finished versions. I would have loved to have seen more of a development of the songs but you know there's some really fun moments in this movie right you know i was really for so many years you know you keep hearing about the the big argument between paul and george there's nothing (laughs) i'm watching this movie for the first time in like i said 10 years and it's not as bad as i always remembered it to be Mm -hmm. i mean i i defy anyone who's ever been in a band or in any creator group who hasn't gone through something far worse than that argument. And uh, Mm -hmm. as far as seeing the the band signs of a breakup, what's just as telling or or more so is, um, and and fascinating, is when Paul is talking to John (laughs) and uh, just explaining the problems he's having with George, that George doesn't want to do a live show. He doesn't want to do a TV show. He's having problems with George. And John acts like he could care less. You know, right. that's a very interesting moment there in the film. But as far as the music is concerned, it's it's incredible. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I disagree with you a little bit there because I, I think that moment with George, although it is I think it, uh, it, it gets I think it gets uh, a little overemphasized because people pull it out of context. I think there is some there's some sharp. Uh, I wouldn't say bitterness, but I think there's some edginess there between George and Paul, definitely. Uh, and and the fact that he brings it up to John later, who, by the way, from what I understand, and Alan, correct me on this, he was stoned most of the time through those sessions. That's why he mm-hmm. really couldn't care less. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I mean, I, I think there was definitely some problem there between George and and. and Paul definitely. So, what's funny is you don't see any of it with Ringo and Ringo. You know, uh, so I mean, Ringo's getting along with everybody, but uh, you know, I I I think I got caught up in the the general feeling of the day that it was a down that it was a downer movie, and you you know you watch it and you kind of see everybody, you know, kind of looking like they don't want to be there. But I, I remember too that. Um, Ron Fermanek told me a, a few years ago when I interviewed him that the movie 
the remastered movie in perfect quality takes on a whole different tone. And God, I, you know, I, I so want to see that like that. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I think we all, I think, Mm -hmm. I know, I mean, we all do. And, and, but I think, I think I believe, you know, that sounds very, you know, that sounds very likely that that's true. You know, that, uh, that I think I, the quality, the quality on all the on all the copies I've seen, and I, you know, I've seen a few. I haven't seen all of them. You know, is horrible. The bootlegs really don't do the movie justice at all. I have not seen the Blu-ray, the quote-unquote bootleg Blu-ray. Have any of you guys seen that? No, but it's it's just from the same sources, right? Right. right. I don't know. I assume I assume so, which means that it's it can't be. I mean, I've seen bad Blu-ray, bad legal blue Blu-rays. You know, yeah. and and so I mean, they can only do so much, and yeah. and so the you know I don't think the the, the Let It Be Blu-ray is anything to to write home about. If anybody listening has seen it, and I'm sure somebody has, you know, we'd love to hear about it. But I really don't think that it's you know having not seen it, I'm not you know trying to scout it down. I'm not gonna you know and uh, but the the blue bootlegs of the movie don't do it justice because the quality you know the quality stinks they all come from the the laser disc basically you know or even the video even the videotape which is just worse you know right so there's only so many and some of those transfers go way 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 back yeah so and we saw bits in the anthology that give us a sense of what the quality of that film is Mm -hmm. like and um Mm -hmm. um, and we've also seen bits in the anthology and in the little documentaries that they produced um that went with the 2009 remasters Mm -hmm. that kind of show a whole other side of of the performances too i mean we see a lot more of them smiling and having fun in those clips than we do in the movie altogether although there there is a a bit of that in the movie too and uh you know and the rooftop concert is great and that takes up the last 20 minutes of the film so that's like a third of it almost you know yeah the movie i mean i have mixed feelings about the movie too for the same reason as as the album not because well not quite the same reason i didn't see bootlegs of the movie before the movie came out but um (laughs) It's hard now to separate, you know, in our minds what we know historically from what we see in the film. We see this little argument with Paul and George that doesn't look like much, but we know that what happened was, you know, George George was not just upset with Paul, he was upset with John too. Partly mm-hmm. because John was stoned at so many of the sessions and partly he, he was also beginning to feel, you know, wait a minute, I am now writing songs that are as good as you guys and uh, mm-hmm. I am not being given a fair shake here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there is OK when they were making the film as probably many of our, all of you guys know, and many of our listeners know, um, because it was a film, they were running um, an audio recording through the whole thing, not just, you know, the the bits that the EMI consoles were getting, but uh, this uh, this couple of Nagra recorders, which are high quality recorders, were on all the time. um, And all of those tapes have gotten out onto the bootleg market. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just looking on my iTunes um, where I have them all, and it it doesn't say how many minutes and hours. It lists that bunch of tape as four days worth of tape. <laughs> um, so, two thousand one hundred sixty-four tracks they've broken it into. Mm. So, uh, yeah, you know, and we get to hear everything, and we get to hear exactly what Ken would like to yes. hear. And, you know, I mean, one of my favorite sort of scenes in this batch of unreleased tape is they're working on Get Back. And first of all, you hear Paul telling Mal to go get a pencil and paper, you know, so it's it's partly interestingly, we get to hear, you know, what the dynamic is, you know, okay, Mal, be ready. Um, And then they're going through lyrics and Paul says, okay, okay, I've got it. Jojo left his home in Tucson, Arizona. And John says, is Tucson in Arizona? 
And Paul says, yeah, it's where they filmed High Chaparral. (laughs) (laughs) And that is just a great moment. You know, I mean, we've been listening to that record for years and years and years. And here is that line being written and being questioned and being justified. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, what more could you want? You know, but you also get to hear, you know, two of us in its fast version, its slow version, its everything version. The same with Get Back. I mean, there there were versions of get back that are absolutely sizzling rockers right um, much different than than what happened with it so you know but there are also other kinds of arguments on here and there is a long section called the lunchroom tape where um they all went to lunch after george left and Mm. um are talking about the dynamics in the group and john is being very forthright about how you know he was always pushing for it to be his way and not paying any attention to George and uh, you know it's, it's very it's very revealing it's kind of hard to hear mm-hmm. because um, they they hid the microphones among apparently the silver service so you keep hearing all this silver jangling <laughs> around and <laughs> but um, you know it's uh, this is the the one Beatles album man and I have to say you know it being my least favorite Beatles album. It's it's a pity that this is the one, but this is the one that we have tape of the entire session sessions for. And that alone makes it fascinating because you do get to hear Mm -hmm. the songs, you know, you hear, you hear Paul coming in with one of his songs and sort of vamping through it and calling out the chords to the others who Mm -hmm. pick up on it. And, you know, it's, it's really great stuff. If, you know, if you want to hear how songs are made, but the film, you know, I mean, I, I saw the film when it came out and was a little down on it just because, uh, you know, that whole period seemed to be such a mess, you know, mm-hmm. with the one redeeming thing that had happened in between the time we first heard the acetate and before the album came out is that Abbey Road had come out and Abbey Road was brilliant, you know, and, and it it just seemed like, OK, well, maybe there's a chance for them to stay together and do some good stuff because I, that stuff on side, too. I mean, they're cooking. Sure. And uh, yeah, but then the movie and, you know, you sort of had to realize that the movie was from before Abbey Road. And but it, it still was it felt like kind of a downer, you know. So I, yeah. I do hope that I, I I do hope when they put it out, they not only give us the movie as it was in super quality, but also a disc of other stuff from those sessions that were much more fun. Yeah. Uh, although the precedent of them putting get, putting that fly on the wall disc in with Let yeah. It Be Naked is not not promising. As right. As, uh, <laughs> exactly. Much in the way of uh, much in the way of treasures that might be part of a, you know, um, you know, a, a let it be uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the film probably around the same time you did, Alan. Uh, and you know, again, this is just a few weeks after the the breakup became semi-official, and uh, and so you're kind of going in with 2020 hindsight because mm-hmm. you you know you you are looking at a film where you are seeing at least in part the the dissolution of the of the band but mm-hmm. the 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 rooftop concert makes it really worthwhile mm-hmm. and i can remember as as depressing as two-thirds of the film was the uh, the effect of the rooftop concert had me leaving that theater you know about two feet off the ground mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that it was that good, but it's uh, it's you know it's unfortunate that the that the rest of it is so so choppy. You know, even technically is so choppy and mm. kind of disjointed. It's uh, you know it would be it would be nice to get a you know kind of a very much reconstructed version, but I kind of doubt if if that's ever going to happen. Right. This is all interesting, what, what you're saying here, Al. I, I definitely agree that the film is choppy, but I still don't think that this film is two-thirds depressing. I mean, there's so many great moments there in this movie. Um, I love there's that one moment when Paul and Ringo are doing this boogie-woogie thing at the piano, and uh-huh. you can tell they're having a lot of fun. 
Oh, yeah. And you also notice whenever they do 50s rock in particular, they seem to be really clicking on mm-hmm. that, and they seem to really be enjoying it, maybe even more so than their own songs, you know, because it's something that they all shared in common with each other. You know, when they're doing the shake, rattle, and roll bit, yeah. you know, with uh, you know, that's a great moment there in the movie. Yeah, just the little things like um, when they rehearsed Across the Universe, and you can hear Paul harmonizing on the song, just hearing his voice, you know, very clear, singing with John, which is a nice, it's a, it's a you know, different from the version that was released. And um, just, just great moments like that. There's, there's a whole bunch of them throughout the film, and I just found it being like in the blink of an eye, it was over. I really just thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I didn't look at it as being, well, they're breaking up here, folks. Yes, we know that. But I think sometimes, like Alan was saying, we're we're kind of tainted in the way that we look at this thing because we know at that moment that they had broken up. That's when the film came out, right at that time. Right, exactly. And especially since Alan and I both saw it. You know, you know, really right after, within just a few weeks after Paul had made his uh, his exit, and so uh, so so obviously all of that and all of these you know very you know ominous reports and things that had been coming around since uh, mid January. Um, you know, contributed to uh, the feeling. You know, where we really were going in, thinking, yeah. "Oh, we're going to basically be watching the group break up." So, mm-hmm. uh, so I think you probably can. I think you probably saw it. You went in probably with a, t- a very different perspective than having seen yeah. it so close to the, mm-hmm. you know, to the at least the semi-official breakup itself. I, yeah, but I try, to, I try to look at everything here in the movie, and I do see a lot of joy here. And just the mere mm-hmm. fact that, you know, once you study the history and you know that right after these sessions, they still hung around together, you know, and they still did Abbey Road. They must have still loved each other enough mm-hmm. to, to put together a great album like that. So it couldn't have been, you know, depending on what you read, you are, you're either going to believe that it was all misery during January of 1969, or you watch a film like this and you see some of the fun moments and you listen to a lot of the bootlegs and you'll hear a lot of the joy that's there as well as mm-hmm. the misery. So you mm-hmm. got to hear both because that's yeah. the only way you get the full picture. You know, I, I, well, I, I think it's really important to remember here that the quality, the, the quality of the prints may have had a lot to do with everybody's feelings about this. And again, mm. again, if we were to see an excellent quality print, I mean, what you can see in the anthology excerpts is only, you know, it's just kind of a, is just tantalizing. But I mean, if we were to see, you know, the full length print, you know, I wonder what the, what the feelings would be. Alan, you haven't, I would assume, have you seen, you know, lengthy excerpts uh, beyond what they've shown on the anthology? Um, not really. Um, but, you know, I should mention mm-hmm. that there is a recent bootleg that just came out within the last couple of weeks that is basically Neil Aspinall's working print for Long and Winding Road, right. which, of course, became the anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it includes a long segment from Let It Be um, from right after George left and John uh, John, Paul, Ringo, and Yoko are doing a very wild jam. And we, of course, have heard the audio of that because of the Nagra reels, but um, right. never never saw it before. And um, actually, they look like they're having a good time there. No, that, jam, that jam has been out, at least parts of it. On I video? Yeah, I, I've seen, I've seen, I don't know how much is included. I don't have that, I haven't seen that bootleg, so I can't tell you. I don't know how much yeah, long it goes but... on for a while. Yeah. Um, goes on certainly longer than anything I've seen. And I was kind okay. of in a way surprised that Neil would have included that much of it. But, okay. um, but they, you know, it's not like they're sitting there tolerating Yoko. They are completely into it. Right. That's, so... that's what's really amazing, especially when you hear all of that, you know, the complaining about Yoko and you hear, you know, you hear people talking about, well, she was in the session and she shouldn't have been there and, and stuff. But that in that particular moment, they were they were enjoying it. They were they were appreciating her, you know, if you want to call it that. But, yeah, that's that's a very interesting moment. Hmm. 
Did you ever ask her about that, Alan? I didn't know. Yeah, I don't. Re- I don't recall asking her about that either. I'm sorry I didn't know. Um, but yeah, that would have been. I would love to have heard her reaction to that. Uh, I mean, but the way she, the way she usually is. I mean, uh, she's very, you know, comfortable with her art, and, and yeah, that's that, that's an that's an amazing moment in the uh, in the movie. Let me ask. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, without asking. You know, everybody's going to say it should be released. And how do you think it should be released? Uh, Ken, let's start with you. How do you think the movie should come out? Uh, <laughs> I want the, the film exactly as it is, as one disc, and then another disc with a lot of bonus material. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's there should be several hours of bonus material because there's so much that does exist. And also bonus audio. You know, this, I, I'm not saying that we should... Uh, you know, put out everything that's been bootlegged audio-wise, but certainly you can come up with one or two CDs worth of really strong material mm-hmm. um, that the that the Beatles wouldn't be or shouldn't be embarrassed by. But then again, how the fans feel and how they, the Beatles, feel are two completely different things, and mm-hmm. usually has been. Right. So I think there should be a lot of bonus material, definitely behind that, and maybe uh, a nice photo book to go along with it. You know, there's a, there's so many ways you can go with this, but the mere fact that it's been out of print for so long, and there's so much material that does exist, you know, they really should uh, do something really nice for this. Yeah, Alan. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Ken. I mean, I think that would be a really good approach. Um, there's easily more than a couple of discs worth of good material uh, from the audio. Uh, material that they could put out. Um, you know, I mean, the thing about the audio material is a lot of it is working versions and some of it is a little sloppy and they're missing lines and all that. But I, I don't really think that matters. I think at this point, everybody knows what the sessions were. And I think it would be really interesting to see some songs evolving over a couple of discs and, mm. and oh, some yeah. of the, and some of the oldies that they sort of, um, you know, touch on sometimes just for a few minutes and and then go on to something else and uh you know some of them are actually pretty funny and uh not to mention that they run through a whole lot of material that did not end up on let it be uh in in those sessions there's quite a lot from george you know hear me lord and uh, other things from well all things must pass itself is is in the Mm -hmm. sessions and Mm -hmm. and something and um you know paul has quite a few things backseat of my car makes an appearance uh in these sessions yeah so um you know there's a lot. I mean, someone could really distill these four days worth of of tracks uh, into something good. Um, I do think that the idea of having a version of the film as it was and a bonus version of the film, I kind of I kind of wonder, you know, if the second disc, instead of being just bonus material, should be just like an alternate edit using other material um, that shows a different perspective of those sessions that shows a bit of the brighter side shows them working and uh you know also i i just watched before we uh, started I, I just watched the little documentary uh that that they put out in 2009 mm-hmm. with, with the albums you know and both paul and ringo are are quite enthusiastic about that material um you know ringo says you know when it didn't matter what what was going on with us personally once the music started if we were into the music it was that was all there was and and there's an aspect of that 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 i'd like to see in the film footage that that would come with it i'm I'm pretty sure that they are putting together a disc of extras like that um you know when when i spoke to someone at apple about it you know to the degree that they could admit that that's what they were doing they sort of did, but, you know, they're very cagey because they're not allowed to talk, you know? Right. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, I also know that they filmed a whole lot of supplementary interview material, uh, you know, including Neil and, um, I don't know, I guess probably just uh, All But John were alive at the time they did it. Um, so there's probably a disc of interviews. They could put together quite a deluxe set. And this being the, 
um, what is it, 45th anniversary? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Losing right. Um <laughs> You know, it would have been good. I mean, I, I hope they don't make us wait another five years to make it the 50th. But, um, yeah, it's it, it would be great to see in really good shape. And, you know, I, I don't understand them because people are putting out, as, as Steve mentioned, like things like a Blu-ray of a bootleg. I mean, wouldn't they rather people bought the stuff from them directly mm-hmm. in the version that they would like us to see. It's, right. it, it, it doesn't make sense to not put it out. No, it, it doesn't. You know, you know what else that actually I'm kind of afraid of is they'll re-edit the thing. I hope to God they don't decide to do that. I mean, they, yeah. they could very well do that. They could. You think they'd bring Michael Lindsay Hogg no. in to do it? No, I don't think so. I mean, they, they'd find somebody. To, they'd find somebody to do it. I don't think they'd they'd have him do it. But, I mean, they could. I'm I'm thinking of what they did with the recordings on the anthology. I mean, they, you know, they changed those around. They could very well, you know, change the movie. It, it, it's. I guess it's maybe hard to conceive, you know, that they would do that, especially in light of Magical Mystery Tour, which, if anything, needed to be re-edited. It was that, and uh, they didn't. So, you know, maybe they wouldn't, but I just, that, that's kind of, kind of a, you know, a little fear that pops in the back of my mind that maybe they'll, they'll mess with it. But, you know, I, no, I, I agree. I wish they'd get off the dime and get this thing done and, and quit, you know, I mean, yeah, I agree with you, Alan, that the bootleggers are making tons of money, um, you know, and it's just crazy to, to not put it out. It's just absolutely stupid. Not to do that. But you know, follow follow the history here. The Beatles have been completely unfazed by bootleggers. If they uh-huh. if they really cared about losing money from the bootleggers, they would have put out tons of other stuff by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sure. really what we do have are the three anthologies and that's it. Mm-hmm. The yeah. three volumes. So yeah. um they do things, you know, on their own terms. And that's just the way it's well, always been. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at the Barrett tapes. Look at the the Roger Scott tapes. I mean, those have come out again recently, within the past year. And I think I, I just read this morning that they're they're out on silver disc. If you want to, if you want to get them on silver disc. But yeah, I mean, it's that you know those kind of things they really don't care about. They did react to the the ultra rare and unsurpassed masters things, which kind of caused the the anthology. But you know that. That's history now, and they they won't do anything on that scale now. I mean, that's just impossible. They won't they won't do it. Um, but well, Alan's Alan's idea about kind of an alternative version of the film is is a good one to have the package with the film as it was, with that with no edits of any kind, just as it was originally presented. But then have maybe an alternative version of the film, which might have some of the more uh, upbeat moments, that might be actually what could possibly finally break the logjam, which has been preventing the film from coming out for Mm -hmm. a number of years, because it's fairly common knowledge now, uh, since we know that everything, that nothing goes out on Apple without the consent of all four directors right mm-hmm. that they're you know regardless of which one has been the descending vote or if there's been more than one descending vote obviously there's there's has not been unanimous approval right. of putting of putting it out so possibly having an alternative version say of the film with some more upbeat material might be might be a way of actually getting it out, but uh, uh, the, the what Alan also mentioned about possibly having, at least in in miniature, the uh, development of some of the songs, right? Uh, Audio wise, mm-hmm. uh, I think would be I think would be excellent. Let me let me ask this yeah. to each of you: uh, Who do you think is the holdup? Who's the holdup on this? Uh, I, I'd say George. That's that's based on everything that I've heard without any real proof behind it. Mm-hmm. But um, he wasn't crazy about the film, and I I heard before he passed away they didn't want it out, and mm-hmm. I just think the family is honoring his wish. And also, I must admit, based on some of the things that Alan has said in this show, that uh, there have been a number of instances 
like um, Alan was talking about Shout, mm-hmm. the way that it came out on the Beatles anthology, that George yeah. thought that the full version was too indulgent. And that's why there's only a two-minute version of Shout. And, and George was the one who didn't want the full version of You Know My Name mm-hmm. to come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you also said uh, in a previous show, Alan, that you thought that it, that it was Paul that was the holdout? Um, that's what I've heard. Uh, I felt that what, I, what I've heard is that Paul feels that it makes him look too bossy. It makes him look like the heavy in the group and that, <laughs> and that he just doesn't uh, – yeah, that he doesn't like that, you know, and um, <laughs> I think that's so, hilarious. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, remember that he's reacting well, to John's comments in mm-hmm. Lennon Remembers, mm-hmm. you know, in December of 1970, where he's where he basically says that Let It Be, and I'm paraphrasing, was made, you know, by and for Paul. Right. So it's uh, so in a way, Paul's and as we know, Paul has this tendency to revise history. So it's possible that if he has, you know, a descending view of it now, of, of let it be coming out on DVD now. And there have, if I recall, there have been comments from him recently where he's kind of poo pooed the idea of it coming out on mm. on DVD. Uh, it may be. You know, again, him kind of bending, bending history uh, because he doesn't want the film coming out and showing him to be, you know, the the taskmaster that <laughs> that he yeah. uh, that he comes across in in some of the especially especially those very early morning uh, Twickenham sessions right. where he seems to be yeah. the only one who's awake. Right. But, you know, the funny thing yeah, is, but... and, you know, I, I understand why he comes across as the heavy and, and, and oh. he kind of does. But, you know, to give him some credit here, basically what you had was very – was four extremely wealthy, um, self-satisfied guys who kind of, you know, were at that point, you know, we don't really have to work. Do we have to work? And then you look, listen to John's things that he says in um, in the interview Al just mentioned, you know, well, Paul was going to bring us in and rehearse us while right. we're a little band. Well, you know, but the fact is, Paul was the only one who was saying, hey, um, guys, you know, we are a band. We are the Beatles. We do yeah. have to make an album. Right. Let's do it. Right. You know, and and I think that while, you know, he may look like the heavy from a certain perspective, I think you have to sort of respect it to a certain degree because they wouldn't have been doing anything if he wasn't there. Right. You know, right. I was wanting to. I was going to say exactly that, that 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 whole thing probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, anyone who studied Beatle history will know that Paul, towards the end, was the only one that was trying to motivate anybody Mm -hmm. to do anything. If it wasn't for Paul, he wouldn't have had Abbey Road. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so, uh, yeah. You know, I just wanted to bring up a couple of things, because as far as hearing differences in songs, um, I mean mine. When the Beatles rehearsed that, there is this little guitar bit that's done in 4-4, which obviously they took out. But um, I found that to be kind of interesting. Anytime there's some difference between what was eventually released and what's in the film, I found it to be really, really interesting. And I also loved another fun moment is when they're doing You Really Got a Hold on Me. Because you do hear George Mm. singing it. You know, his voice is not really uh, uh, pronounced or forced. You can hear him singing to the microphone. And it's a lot of fun to hear that. And also, you know, on the sad note, uh, the, the expressions on the Beatles' faces kind of tell you where they were at mm-hmm. during this movie. And there's plenty of times, especially with Ringo, where he's looking really down. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. You, you can see so much in his face. There's so much expression in, in all of them, really. But especially mm-hmm. Ringo uh, in this film. And um, George, unfortunately, he comes across as being a sideman so much in this in this film. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's mainly Paul's songs and John to a lesser degree. And uh, John, sometimes there are moments when John looks like he's really enjoying himself in the band, but there mm-hmm. are times when he just looks like, you know, he, he wants to be somewhere else. And so, perhaps and is. Paul... <laughs> well, 
By by the way, um, just want to bring up something you just said out that Paul's tendency to revise history. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to know if you could just, you know, explain why you're saying that, because there are people who, who do accuse him of doing that. And I want to know in what way you think he does that. Well, the most, the most egregious one, of course, is, is his claim all these years that, that the Beatles were found and determined not to come to America until they had a number one record. And of mm-hmm. course the the history shows the fact that you know they were booked for Carnegie Hall and booked for the Ed Sullivan shows uh weeks before they had that number one record. You know, it was the I think the only show that was actually booked afterward was the uh, Washington Coliseum show because of the the role that Carol James had in in pushing I want to hold your hand. Uh mm-hmm. but okay. but you know, but I mean, that's the most obvious example. And there are other things, too, where he's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the story that he's told for so many years about Blackbird. Right. And about uh-huh. it being mm-hmm. influenced by the civil rights movement. Right. Uh, the thing is that it that at the time, you know, at the time the White Album came out and uh, in interviews from that time, he never makes a reference to that song being influenced by the civil rights movement. That's a, that's a really good point. Well, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about this before, and the thing is, sometimes, you know, it is very possible that it was about that, but nobody bothered to ask him at that moment. Mm. It's not like... It's well, not like it's also that there's... About every, it's not like Paul has talked about every single song of his career, even from the Beatle days. You wish mm. that... It wasn't until many years from now, really... That was kind of the equivalent of what John had done in Playboy, right. where he went through all the Beatles songs, and especially the ones that he'd written or was the main writer. But I'm sure there are plenty of times people where, where Paul just did not comment about some of the Beatles songs that he wrote, and we, we've known very little about it. Well, but in the case of Blackbird, he did kind of comment in a chat with Donovan that was recorded at Abbey Road during a Mary Hopkins session where mm-hmm. he's That's playing Blackbird and he says, oh, so, you know, I, I hear Diana Ross was offended, you know, and then he starts talking about the birds. And that would have been a time he could have, you know, would have made sense for him to say, but actually it's, you know, about oh, civil yeah. rights. And, um, but in fact, he's actually making a joke almost the other way you know yeah. so mm-hmm. that kind of makes me think that the blackbird story is a later invention mm-hmm. okay well we don't know for sure <laughs> that's true but I'd, that's true. I'd, I'd love to give paul the benefit of the doubt but you can always say he is the well, writer of the song you know, so who even, would know better than him even even beyond the beatles you know, in talking about Wings in retrospect, you know, years later, he tends to kind of uh, uh, use 2020 hindsight and maybe, you know, bend history to his own devices, you know, or, you know, or in some cases where he'll kind of slough off an album like Back to the Egg. I, I wish we had had time last week to ask uh, asked, uh, Lawrence Juber about that um, mm. because Paul seems now to feel that Back to the Egg is kind of a minor piece by Wings and you know the, the mere fact that he you know hardly ever even well I don't even th- I don't even think he's except for well coming up's not from there uh, I don't think he's ever performed anything from from Back to the Egg. No, Every- in the 79 tour he did. Oh, the UK well, tour he did. okay, but that was just a couple of months later. You know, that was basically basically riding on top of the album. But he, in mm-hmm. later years, he's kind of looked back on that album as being a quote-unquote failure, even though it was a top 10 album. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you call that revisionism. I just think that's the way that, you know, his opinion has changed over time. And every artist, I mean, we well, that, love for... That, that is <laughs> isn't that what revisionism is? Yes. But, but do we only look at the success of the record as it comes out, or should we also be thinking about how it's viewed years later? Well, 
you know, you know how, where I stand on that. <laughs> you know, it, should we only think about, you know, what happened when the record first came out? And if the record was a number one record, it must be a great record for all time. Or, you know, are, are there certain records that diminish over over time? That was the thing that I was bringing up, uh, you know, with Tom Franjoen. Right. You know, we were talking about tug of war towards the end of the show. But, sure. you know, I just think that it's a natural thing that that artists don't look at their own work the same way that the fans do in most mm-hmm. cases. Oh, so, you know, I would I would love for Paul to, uh, you know, applaud so many of the songs from his solo career that I love dearly, which he will hardly ever talk about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the case with so many artists that, that we love. They don't see their music the same way the fans do. So... You know, as a matter of fact, it's been uh, a number of times now where Paul has asked, Paul has been asked what his his favorite album of his is, and he's mentioned the first McCartney album, which I like a lot. I wouldn't put it in the upper echelon of McCartney albums, but for some reason, it's it's an album that he holds dear, and a lot of it probably has to do with the time and what he was going through emotionally and, uh-huh. you know, the whole vibe of the album mm-hmm. as opposed to just the compositions on the album. But, you know, that's the way he sees things. And uh, as much as I'd love for him to see his music the way I see it, <laughs> you know, um, we can't expect that of any artist. So maybe as he was doing Back to the Egg, he wasn't crazy about it the way some of his fans were. It's possible, you know. There there may be times now when he writes off a lot of music that we love from him. And we might turn our heads and say, how can you possibly say that? But he is the artist and he has a right to feel the way he does. But that's just the way it is. Anyway, I think we got yeah. we got we got off a little crazy there. But, um, but you know, Al brought up the whole thing about revisionism. I think right. it's important. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to bring up. Yeah, and especially in the case of Let It Be, it, it's a very relevant situation. I hope they. I. I really. Maybe we should. Maybe we should all just put up an online. There's probably an online petition somewhere. I'm not familiar. With <laughs> off the top of my head, maybe we should start one. Uh, online. But, online. But you know, I'm. I'm sorry to be the curmudgeon here again, oh. <laughs> but yeah. online petitions. <laughs> online petitions are stupid and useless. Okay. Hmm. They they have no but, meaning. Whenever I see one of those one of those things on Facebook with an online petition, I just next. I don't I don't pay any attention to them. You know, getting back to let it be. There's no. one other thing. Um, there's one other aspect to to mention possibly. Um, you know, we we talk about uh, them looking depressed and all this stuff, and and I think Steve or one of you mentioned uh, some of the early morning scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that aspect too. I mean, John described the whole sessions. You know, looking back at them as like the worst pile of badly recorded crap with a bad vibe to it you can imagine and he was exaggerating perhaps a bit but i think it had to do also with the fact that they were being filmed the whole time and i think they found that very kind of restrictive i think they wanted to have the freedom to have the fights they wanted to have you know you know that are part of the creative process without it being on film and without, uh, you know, feeling that they had an audience. I mean, these were guys who generally speaking, didn't have other people at their sessions and now they had a whole camera crew, Mm. um, which in effect means almost, you know, potentially the whole world because the cameras are are, are recording all of this. And you would would think though, they, that they could have stopped that if they wanted to. Because they, you know, they took, for example, with Magical Mystery Tour, they were involved in the editing process there. They could have pulled some of that stuff out of it be if they wanted to, you would think. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think the whole thing made them uncomfortable as well. The fact that they were coming in early in the morning, the fact that they yes. were at Twitch mm. Studios, which they really disliked, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then uh, you know they when they finally got to Apple. I mean, you know, far be it for me to say that Magic Alex had not produced the studio <laughs> that he was supposed to do, um, <laughs> but um, you know he didn't, and they so they're they're working on 
borrowed equipment from EMI, which seemed to be okay, but, uh, you know, it wasn't what they wanted ideally. So there were an awful lot of other disappointments besides not getting along, besides whatever George's issues with John and Paul were and, you know, whatever John's issues were and John's drug use and John's attitudes about their attitudes about yoga or whatever, you know, all of these things. All that may be part of it, but there's also this other part of it that I think we have to consider, which is that it was just an uncomfortable situation for them, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. being filmed yeah. in it. They're you know being filmed being uncomfortable, so that could be why they look uncomfortable. You know, uh, it's yeah. just that aspect I think we need to keep in mind as well. Yeah, these yeah. are not not you know men who were used to being filmed in a uh, you know in a film studio in early January at eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. it's so it's no wonder they looked uh, unhappy. You know, they're the they were used to you know recording under uh, you know much different circumstances. At, you know, three in the morning uh, at uh, you know Abbey Road Studios instead of eight in the morning at Twickenham. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So those are really good points. Can I bring up one more thing? Sure. Since you brought one up more. revisionism. Yes. Revisionism uh-huh. here. Right. What if they what if they did what we've suggested? What if they did a re edit of the film and they showed more of their lighter, fun moments? Mm-hmm. There might be a lot of fans who might say, Well, you're you're changing history here. It wasn't really like that. Well, they're you know? not changed. They're 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 going to put the film out as at least in my concept, put mm-hmm. the film and I think all of our concepts is to have in the the DVD package have the film as is with you know you know certainly a, a technically a better quality product, but the film itself should be as is then. On you know on a separate disc, sure have a you know kind of a different you know a different perspective on those sessions since there's so much footage available. I think. Well, I know. agree that that's how it should be, but I'm just saying there might be some fa- some fans who think that is revising history well, to show another side here that it that it that it was that there were a lot of fun moments that it wasn't all you know drudgery. <laughs> doesn't I think mean, Paul said during the sessions. Welcome no, that to the doesn't mean you're revising history. You're just showing you're sh- you're just showing a different perspective of those sessions. Again, you're not changing the film. You're just yes, showing, no film. Yeah, it's still you know the okay. film is as is. All right. So so that's not um, changing history. Okay, I'm all for it then. That kind, of, that kind of gets back to what I was <laughs> saying earlier about re-editing the film. I mean, if they do that. As long as they, you know, as long as they keep the original version, I'm okay with that. But, uh, but uh, my concern was that they would re-edit the, you know, the the basic film and supplant that as the as the original version. And that wouldn't that wouldn't be good as far as I, I'm concerned. But mm-hmm. in any event, in any event, anybody else got any? Because uh, we're I think we're getting we're getting down to the end here. Anybody uh, got any other concerns or things that um, we didn't bring up uh, about Let It Be? Well, yeah, if there's four days of audio, there must also be four days of film. Maybe they should just make a four-day version of Let It Be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Has anybody have, – have you guys all, I, I, all, have you guys well, all sat, sat through all the, all the outtakes of the whole the – whole... No, that's, that's torture. Uh, now the, uh, the, the funny thing is the one thing that we haven't really talked about is the music. Mm. We have, you know, the songs themselves that, you know, that, that either from the get back version, you know, the Glenn Johns version or from the, uh, you know, the official, uh, let it be album, you know, uh, and there's, uh, coming after Abbey Road, uh, it's again was something of an anticlimax, and it's certainly, uh, you know, as Alan mentioned, it's uh, his least favorite Beatles album, and frankly, it's probably mine as well. But there are uh, there are some nice moments. I'm in the minority in that I don't mind uh, the specterized Long and Winding Road, especially given the fact that at the moment it came out. 
uh, especially the, the the fact that it was released as as a single at that moment. It that looked as if it was going to be the last Beatles single for at least some time to come, and so it kind of put a nice little punctuation mark on on the Beatles story. And and in fact, it does. Uh, if you listen to, dare I say it, the one album, you know, it does kind of wrap up that that collection very nicely. Uh, so I don't really have that that much of a problem uh, with it. I mean, mine. Ken mentioned uh, that you know the 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 fact that the version that's in the film is a little bit different, of course. Uh, we know that basically the version that was done in the film and the version which is on Let It Be are nearly a year apart mm-hmm. in, in when they were recorded. So, you know, so obviously there are going to be uh, some differences. Um, but I meant in the uh, arrangement. There's just that mm-hmm. little guitar, bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So. And I think on I Me Mind Spectre did actually some good work because they only mm-hmm. recorded like a minute and 13 seconds or something yeah. of that song. And so. he looped it out to be a, a full length song. I, I think that was a good decision, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, gentlemen, I think we I think we covered the subject really well. Thank you. Thank you for for all your comments. Um, to anybody listening out there, if you have comments, um, we'd love to hear them. Whether you want Let It Be released, uh, whether you want Get Back the Get Back album released, whatever your whatever's on your mind, we'd like to hear it. Uh, things we said today, radio show at gmail dot com. I'm going to uh, I'm uh, not going to go through everybody. We're all on Facebook. Uh, if you want to contact us individually, or you can contact us through the show. We'll be back here next week, God willing, same time, same. And, and we're all over the place. We're on uh, YouTube. We're on iTunes. We're on Podbean. We're everywhere. We're all over. We're we're all around you. But uh, please uh, check us out next week. Check up on Podbean. We have uh, an archive of our past shows. You can hear some of our past topics and interviews we last week mentioned talk to we talked to lawrence juber that's still there so anyway um thank you for listening um and we will see you next time